It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So if any of you uh, participated in Monday's episode, it was called Antebellum Woke, and it was a pretty cool uh idea because I had, uh, at the time, I don't remember how many days into COVID I had been, but I wasn't doing very well in my health, and I hadn't slept for three days. And so it was just the perfect title for it, uh, Antebellum Woke, after being woke for three days. And I have, you know, it's still really hard for me to even try and listen to that one to see if it turned out all right, because I was in such a fog even as I was given it. But I've been in a trust mode, a, a lean in heavy on, on God mode, where it's just like, God, I feel very weak right now physically. And even though I'm sort of on the out, uh, outer edge of my COVID uh, days here, I still have been extremely weak and I have, you know, throughout the day, I'll just be so tired and it's like I want to just fall asleep. And it's, it's hard to be creative and to develop uh, my material, which is what I do. I'm constantly in a creative mode and constantly taking ideas, taking truth, studying scripture, uh, studying history for these daily thunder uh, processes. And so it's been a unique form of dependence, and I just want to acknowledge that up front. And my prayer before I started was just like, Lord, this will fall to the ground and be worthless if it's not empowered by your Holy Spirit. I feel like the truths in these are so pithy and powerful, but when you, when you feel weak as a delivery agent, it's interesting how you have a tendency to diminish the thought of what God could do with it, when in actuality the truth is exactly opposite, that it's in and through our weakness that God builds a thoroughfare through which to express his strength. And so that's what I'm leaning on today is that God would somehow leverage this weakness known as Eric Ludi uh, to share forth his strength in this generation because we're living in a parallel age to the antebellum era. The antebellum era, many would say, was even worse than what we are experiencing today in America, which is hard for some of us to imagine. Uh, but we are headed in a similar trajectory because of a similar hard-heartedness. America in the antebellum era was Christian. That's the best way of describing it. And it was a division amongst Christians. North-South, the North were Puritan. The South were more gentle, uh, gentry or cavalier. And both would have called themselves Christian. The church itself split North and South. And so that's even where the Southern Baptists come from. It's a split along political lines. And this is not healthy. And so when a culture begins to divide because it can no longer hear its opponents, it can no longer listen, it is now officially... Uh, superimposed evil upon the other side of the ledger, and it now desires nothing but destruction, you end up in a very, very uh, dangerous place. It is important that in a generation like this that we have inherited, that we do not respond in a political manner. We do not respond with the typical social antagonisms but that we respond as Christians, as believers. And so that's sort of what we've been walking through because Abe Lincoln is going to symbolize that, that process. Now, I'm not going to try and just say everything Abe Lincoln did was perfect, but he's going to do certain things that are going to go directly against the systems of his day, which is one of the reasons why he's going to be so effective in holding together the union or holding together the nation. And so let's, let's dig into part four of this series, which is called Spiritual Lessons from Abe Lincoln's America. This one's called Listening to the Cranks. 
sounds sort of like a comedy uh, movie, but it actually has a tremendously pithy uh, idea behind it. Uh, <clears throat> I did the same thing. I forgot to turn on my uh, clicker here. Uh, so here's uh, uh, Dr. Scott Rank uh, in his uh, podcast uh, gave a little description of Antebellum America that I think uh, will say it well and catch us up well in this series. Abraham Lincoln grew up in absolutely wild times. It was divisive, partisan, and violent. Government in antebellum America was weak and unstructured. The economy was in chaos. Listen to this. Gordon Wood notes thousands of different kinds of paper money notes flew about. Thousands of different kinds. I mean, what in the world? And risk-taking and bankruptcies were everywhere. Even some states went bankrupt. There were duels, rioting, and mobbing. Americans drank more per capita than nearly all other nations, which provoked temperance movements. Fistfights, knifings, and violence were ordinary affairs, taking place even in state legislatures and the Congress. All right, welcome to antebellum America. So when we think about our country and we're like, boy, are we going downhill fast? Well, they were already downhill back then. You see, America is a new experiment. At the end of the uh, 1700s, going into the early 1800s, we have a new country. And after the War of 1812, you have this experiment that most people are thinking, this isn't going to work. Uh, this American idea isn't going to work. How is the Constitution going to answer this question, answer this question? And the issue of states' rights was dividing the nation, and especially the issues of slavery. Because as the nation began to press forward into the Louisiana Purchase Territory, well, how are they going to define if that state can be a free state or a slave state? And this began to be a boiling point, which led to Bleeding Kansas, the first test case for this, and where the, sla the anti-slavery people are going to move there and the pro-slavery people are going to move there and they're going to beat each other up. And we have a miniature civil war before even the civil war comes about. It was violent. It was tense. It was terse. And the, the, the lines of division were very, very sharp. What's a Christian supposed to do? Participate in this? And that's, ironically, a lot of what times what we are doing today is we see the sharp political divides and we are throwing rotten eggs across that line along with everyone else. You see, we as believers are supposed to function very, very differently than the world in which we live. And we cannot lose sight of that just because we live in a time of great hostilities in the political side of things. So I'm going to define the word crank, okay? And this is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. A person with strange ideas, a cross or irritable person. Now, look at the first definition there. A person with strange ideas. Now, I don't know if you can identify with that, but if I were to say, have you run into anyone today with strange ideas? That's like almost the best enunciation, which is why I'm saying listening to the cranks. That's the name of this message. You see, when people have these strange ideas out there, I mean, it's like, are you serious? I mean, are you lucid? Do you have like the ability to use a brain? I mean, why would you come to that conclusion? You see, the generation in which we live has gone a little haywire. 
and to the point where logic is no longer being used and leveraged. It's, it's now this emotionalism. It's this, uh, this political correctness. It's the emperor has no clothes on, and everyone just buys it. And many of us have felt this tension of soul. And yeah, that, that's a crank over there. They, they live, they breathe, they think, they, they do everything they do different than I do. And we have a tendency to cut those people off. We treat them as if they are completely nonsensical. We treat them as if they don't even belong in this culture, in this society, and they're best to be ignored. So I'm going to give uh, another definition of a crank, and you're going to notice that I'm calling this the essence of Christianity. You see, a crank, or someone that thinks differently than we do, is actually a very, very important person to us. So let me, let me give you this definition. A person that is the object of our special care, special interest, and special attention. A person to pursue with the love of Jesus Christ. I want you just to think about missions for a second. What in the world is missionary work? Is it going to find those that think like us, that act like us, that have come to the same conclusions as us and hang out together and just sort of hug each other and sing kumbaya? Is that the great essence of missions? The great essence of missions is to find those that aren't like you, that need something that you have been entrusted but to bring it to them, you have to have a certain uh, love and care for that person. You can't have a nonchalance and a, and a hatred and, a, and, a, and a, a desire to see them destroyed. That doesn't work. And so as a result, in Christianity, those that are the cranks, those that are the opposite of us, those that get under our skin, those that seem to push all of our buttons, actually are special objects of our care. I know it's hard for us to even comprehend that, right? Because that's not the way our current cultural system is grooming us. The American Christian system is actually training us to be antagonistic within the church towards others that are of a different denomination. They're a crank, and we don't pursue them, and we leave them out to dry. We do the same thing with those that are ideologically opposite us. It ought not to be. So William Booth, one of, and this is a paraphrase, I couldn't get the actual quote uh, fast enough for this, but this is very similar to what he said. So William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army, and when they would go into other countries, towns, this, they had a certain philosophy, and this is what William Booth said, when you arrive in a new town, search out the most infamous sinner and go after him. Search out the crank. Search out the one that is most different from you. I mean, here you are. You're a believer. You're a missionary. You're carrying the love of Jesus. So what do you do? You go after the most infamous sinner. And when you win the most infamous sinner to Jesus, what happens to the rest of the town? It changes the entire town. This is just a strategy. The Salvation Army wielded this for, for decades. and It was tremendously powerful. I, I like the thinking. You see that we have a special care, and it's a special object of affection, is that person that is opposite us. We're not looking to just hang out with people that are like us or that think like us or that have concluded like us, but we have a special love and care for those that think the opposite. So befriending the cranks, wouldn't that be an amazing idea? If we actually went into this culture and said, you know what, I want to befriend the cranks. I remember William Booth with his son, uh, what's his son's name? Hudson, do you remember what his son's name was? 
Bromwell Booth, yes. Uh, and so Bromwell Booth is, was somewhere around, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, and they're in the east side of London, and they walk into a pub. And a pub is, you know, back in those days was a lot more rough than it sounds by the word pub. Uh, but it was one of those bars, you know, where you could be throwing, you know, the, the glass bottles across the room, and they're, they're crashing on the other side, and it's dangerous, right? Fist brawls and everything. And uh, William Booth brings his son in, his young son, and says, Bromwell, these are our people. These are the people I want you to go after. And that essence, could you imagine training your children to befriend the cranks, to befriend those that are opposite them? Well, that's not the way that William and Catherine Booth lived. They didn't live in a pub. They didn't live throwing, you know, getting drunk and throwing uh, bottles across the room. They didn't get into fist fights. This wasn't like them. It was opposite of them. And yet their entire family pursued the cranks. Now, this is a quote that I gave earlier in the series that I, I, I really like, and it's by Thomas Cranmer. It says, the way for a man to make, his, to make me his friend is to do me an ill turn. And so it's almost like a similar thing we could say is, hey, if you really want to become my friend, be different than me. If you're different than me and you think differently than me, then I'm going to have an extra special interest in you because I desire to win people to the truth. I desire to show people the love of Jesus. And so therefore, I have a special interest in those that are headed in a different direction. So this is sort of the key idea that I want to draw out of Lincoln's uh, leadership satchel, okay? And that is, listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. Now, most of us don't do this. When we come into a room, we want to be the smartest person in the room. And I have known many people throughout my life that go to great lengths to read every book that comes out and to study everything that's taking place so that in every room they can be the smartest person. Now what's interesting is I'm giving a different template for success, a different idea here. And I'm not saying be the dumbest in the room as if that's the, the goal. I'm saying that the attitude in which you approach the people in the room is very, very different than trying to be above them. You literally purposely come into the room and take the lowest seat. You come into the room and serve every single person in the room. You could be the smartest, but you don't come in acting like you're the smartest. In fact, you act as if everyone else knows something that you need to learn. And if you do that, if every conversation you enter into with every single person in the room is treating them as if they have gold to give you, as if they have a jewel that they can hand to you in their understanding, in their knowledge, you will be a great leader. You will be a great influencer of people. So listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. So Romans 12, 14 and 17 through 18 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It's an attitude. So we live in a generation in which there isn't peace amongst men. And yet we are commissioned, as far as it depends on us, to do that. So what can we do to begin to create a bridge of communication with those that would otherwise be antagonistic towards us? Because we don't want to be antagonistic towards them, but it's sort of hard uh, in this generation, which is setting everyone up to be against someone. How do we do this? How do we live peaceably with all men? So let's look at the missionary approach. If we're dealing as a missionary, 
the first thing we're going to want to do is gain God's heart for the cranks. And so I have a list of four different steps here in the missionary approach. But the first thing we want to do is gain God's heart for the cranks. Now, you can fill in the gaps of who the cranks are in your life. It's usually someone, it's a subgroup that has an ideological vantage point that is different than yours. And in fact, it can oftentimes be hostile to you where they want you destroyed. That's their conclusion. Their conclusion is that you are the problem with the world. And so therefore, whoever this group is, I want you to take special interest in them. I want you to circle them on the page. And I want you to say, Lord, I want your heart for them. You see, did, does Jesus want them destroyed or does he want them saved? It's a key question because if he wants them destroyed, I'm, I'm guessing he may not want their ideology saved, but he may want them saved. Just a good uh, hypothetical possibility there is that his desire is to see them set free from their ideological entrapments so that they could behold his glory. They could be saved by his amazing work on the cross. So first, gain God's heart for the cranks. Second, listen to what a missionary will do. Go to the cranks and live amongst them. Now, whatever that would look like today would be really fascinating, wouldn't it? You see, we have a tendency to segregate, and that's what we do. We live in our suburban little uh, zones that are like us. And yet missions work throughout history has been to go where the cranks are to go where those that are different than us are. Why? So that we could live amongst them. Why are we going to do that? Why would we live amongst that people? Because they don't even want us there. And, and it's true. Most times when a missionary goes into an environment, they are not wanted in that environment. But why does a missionary do that? Third, listen to the cranks, study the cranks, and learn their unique culture, their unique language. So, the reason why a missionary is going to go there is so that he can know them, he can hear them, he can listen to them. You see, if you're going to a foreign culture where you don't speak the language and you know you have the truth, you know you have the word of God and they need it, what do you need to do? You need to know their culture, you need to know their language, you need to know how they think and reason so that you can translate the scriptures, the truth of Jesus Christ into their tongue into their understanding, and you can convey it to them so that they can understand it. Now, what's interesting is this is Missions 101. This has always been the way it is. And yet, when it comes to our own culture, and you take the, the homosexual community, the LGBTQ plus community, and we have a tendency to say, whoa, 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 hey, they, they are antagonistic to us. They, they want to see us dead. As far as conservative Christians, they don't get us anymore. And so, as a result, we want to cut them off. That is the worst thing we could do. The best thing we could do is actually to go in amongst them and to understand them and to listen to them, to treat them as if what they have to say matters to us, to understand their language, to understand their culture, to understand their hurts. Why? So that we could take the truth of Jesus Christ and translate it into their soul, into their understanding. This is a critical dimension of missions. It has always been this way, and yet for whatever reason, we are losing it and quickly in our generation. All right, so here's the fourth point. Fourth, labor to translate the eternal word of God, the beauty of the gospel, and the love of Jesus into the language of these cranks so that these cranks might comprehend and understand the goodness and love of God expressed towards them. Missions. This is how missions has always worked. And yet in our generation, we have a tendency to be so focused on 
our own perspective that we fail to realize that our goal is to understand and listen to someone else's perspective so that we can take that eternal word of truth and apply it so that we can effectively love and to serve those around us. It's not just that we are saved. It's we have been saved so that we can labor to see others saved. This is the way it always works. When you get into, into an antebellum culture where there's a division and where the only solution is to start harming and killing each other, you have lost the essence of what Christ came to do. Christ came to solve this, to actually mitigate in the midst of such uh, difficulty and such nonsense, to actually speak life and truth and hope and value. And that's our role as the church. So Lincoln's public opinion baths. I don't know that I really like the term, but that's what he called them. That three or four times a week, people would stream into the White House. I guess back in these days, the White House was open. You could literally walk in and visit it and sit down with the president. Isn't that sort of a cool concept? So three or four days a week, people would stream into the White House and share their stories. And Lincoln would listen with genuine interest. You see, what I'm describing here is something that wasn't common at the time. You see, at the time, all of these different stories, all of these different opinions, if, if you were one of those, if you were one of the cranks that came from the opposite vantage point, you were just cut off. The North cut off the South, the South cut off the North, you couldn't even hear each other anymore. And there's Lincoln. And Lincoln's like, hey, North, come in. Tell me what you're thinking. South, come in. Tell me what you're thinking. And he would genuinely just listen as if they were the smartest person in the room. And he wanted to learn from them. And one of the reasons he was so effective in navigating this time is because of these public opinion baths. Because he was ready to listen instead of just speak. He had convictions when he came into his presidency. He had a position against slavery before it even started. However, he was very delicate in how he administered his opinions. He wanted to actually care the way a Quaker would instead of a Puritan or a gentry from the South. He wanted to approach this with a listening ear and to do his best to mitigate against division. So this is a famous quote of Abraham Lincoln in his second inaugural address right before he was killed. Malice towards none, charity towards all. It's a great statement. And this is how the church should always function. Malice towards none, charity or love towards all. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So when you come into a room and you begin to treat everyone else as if they have something to share that you want to hear, you're doing exactly this. You're esteeming others better than yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of of others. Now we know these scriptures, but how could we apply it in our day with those of a different vantage point, as I'm calling them the cranks, those that come from a different opinion bank, They're those that say things that are actually off in our mindset. They're, 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 they're lost and they're, they're confused. How can we, instead of cutting people off and just deciding that they need to be destroyed, uh, like the antebellum era was doing, how could we actually say, Lord, I have a special interest in that person. Show me how to love them. Show me how to pursue them. Show me how to gain more understanding of that person so that I can help them see Jesus. 
So the tensions that we face. We are called to stand for truth. We are called to be bold and courageous in sharing Jesus and the gospel with the world about us. But we are also called to live at peace with all men as far as it depends on us. I don't know if you feel the tensions here, but I do. You see, I am one, and most people know this if you've followed me and listened to my messages throughout the, the decades. I'm not just going to sit on my thumbs and say, you know what, you know what, you know, I don't have an opinion and I don't care what's going on out there. No, I do care what's going on out there, and I do care about the truth of Jesus Christ, and it needs to be spoken clearly. However, even though I want to be a purveyor of the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to do it in such a way that doesn't clobber people on the head, poke them in the eye, and send them packing. I want to, those that have a different vantage point than me on things to at least know that I love them and I care about them. And this is the tension that we as the body of Christ deal with. And it's not a new tension. This is a historic tension of how we stand for something specific at the same time live in such a way that is marked by love and care for those that have a differing vantage point. So let me go through just a few scriptures in regards to this idea of what we could call peace. That peace is not a small thing in the recipe for a well-lived life. It is a very, very important thing that we are to pursue. So Romans 14, 9, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. So as a result, we see, as Paul is saying in Romans, that we are to pursue the things that make for peace. So it's a big part of our expression as Christians is that we are not looking for a fight. We are not looking to enter into a war. We are not looking for a, 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 a contest on things. We are looking for peace. We, we are at the same time, we recognize that when we live for Jesus, there is a battle. We, we recognize that when we live for Jesus, we will be persecuted. In other words, it's this unique tension that though we are after peace, we recognize that sometimes it doesn't come. And sometimes we end up in a battle instead. Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Proverbs 12, 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Matthew 5, 5 and 9, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So meek is a great illustration for us, like that wild stallion that is broken to harness. You see, we are supposed to have the strength of heaven to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ with fervor and intensity to the degree that God would move inside of us to do it, but we are governed by the Spirit of God, and we are peacemakers at the same time. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we're supposed to pursue peace. So let's go through the leadership secrets of Lincoln that we've covered so far. Number one, draw loving lines, not hard lines. Number two, approach the nasty stuff like a Quaker. Session three, uh, it was never ever send the first draft. I hope you guys remember that one. I had someone that sent me an email after that and said, by the way, this wasn't the first draft. I was very proud of them for that. And uh, today's number four, listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. So the next room you go into, the next environment, say you go into a coffee shop, I just want you to take the lowest place. I want you to do it strategically like you're a missionary. And I want you to begin to realize that this room, everyone in that room 
is, is a special object of care for you. It doesn't matter if they think like you. In fact, the more they don't think like you, the more you care about them. And it's not because you're just trying to prove that you're right. Jesus is right. His word is right. Your desire is that they would know Jesus. And for them to effectively know Jesus right now, you just trying to convince them of your rightness is probably not going to do it. But for you to study them, to listen to them, to ask them questions, to hear them, and then to translate this truth of the kingdom of heaven into their world so that they can grasp it, what a gift of love that is. This is what this world needs right now. They need the church of Jesus Christ to listen not to just speak, but to listen, so that when we do speak, they feel understood, and they feel like what we are saying to them makes sense and fits. Father, we need your grace to be able to do this, and so we ask for that right now, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would empower us as the church of Jesus Christ to speak your words the way you would speak them, that we would be able to listen and to treat others as if their opinion have value to us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would train us and equip us for the hour in which we live. We love you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.